This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to Adulting with Horses, the podcast for weird horse girls. And the best place to be if you can't be at the barn. Put down the muckrake, turn up the volume, and let's have some fun. Yay! Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Adulting with Horses. Uh, Natalie and I have such a cool episode today. We are talking about trail riding. And of course, as things go, sometimes we get a little weird. And so we wanted to really introduce and welcome our special mystery guest host today, Kathy Woods. Uh, Now, Kathy is a longtime yogini and equestrian. She's the author of Yoga for Riders and the creator of Body Mind Equine. And she has a lot of experience with yoga and mindfulness uh, for on and off horses. But that's not why we're having her on, even though that is very cool. The coolest thing about Kathy that I just recently learned is that she's a backcountry rider and she has been riding in the Appalachian Mountains for quite a long time. So we thought she would be the perfect person to come on and have a chat with us because you know she's got a lot of stories. Welcome, Kathy. Hi. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to be here and I'm so thrilled that we're going to talk about trail stuff because trail stories are my favorite thing to talk about. I mean, I love talking about yoga for riders and, and all those great um, teachable learning tools that, that I offer, but really my passion lies in being in the backcountry on my horse and having many, many great uh, adventures here in the Smoky Mountains as well as other places around the country. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. And I'm very excited to hear some of your stories. And, uh, you know, as I understand it, you have kind of been self-taught on the trails. Is that correct? Uh, That's true. Um, I always say the trail, my teacher. Uh, I learned so much about riding on these trails here in the Smoky Mountains over the past 25 years and rode some before moving here and before riding here. But really, these um, challenging trails and riding with really quality um, horse people really has just taught me so much. And, you know, the trail teaches us things like um, awareness and balance and, and connecting with your horse. So it's, it's just a great place to experience horsemanship in, in all its forms. Yeah, I think it's really underrated, right? I mean, so Natalie, how about you? Do you love trail riding? No, I hate trail riding. (laughs) Trail riding is just chaos in a saddle for me. All of my trail riding stories are epic adventures of danger in Florida. (laughs) I've had almost no positive trail riding experiences in my entire life, and I'm also afraid of heights. Well, I'm just taking a note here that I will never be going trail riding with you ever. (laughs) Oh, see, I, I was thinking just the opposite. Like, I want to take Natalie on a trail ride so we can have a really positive experience. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I need a, I need, you know, when you take a horse cross country schooling and you've got the schoolmaster in front so your horse can follow after the schoolmaster. Kathy, will you be my schoolmaster? I, I will. I will <laughs> and so will my, my well seasoned horses. <laughs> I don't know. Once Natalie gets going and confident, though, I feel like she might be the agent of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. What? No. Never. <laughs> Never. Um, well, I mean, my God, Natalie, that isn't an intro to I want to hear that. I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, so. I've spent a lot of my life riding solo in Florida and like nothing is normal here. Um, And so if it's not giant spiders, it's collapsing ground. And if it's not collapsing ground, it's alligators. And, you know, just the combination of the three all in one ride is possible. (laughs) But I feel like most of my misadventures just involved one of them. And, you know, the one with it's banana spider season here. Um, so <laughs> if you want to Google banana spiders, go, for you know, it. that I have a fear of spiders, Natalie. That's, That's why I'm not going to go into depth. I will just say <laughs> that they are very stationary, so they're not coming at you. Let me put it like that. Um, but I, right here in this region of Florida where I live now, uh, I lived back when I was like 19 or 20 and I was eventing at, at a pretty decent level at the time. So I had to go out and do gallop schools. And there were lovely trails at the time. So I was going out and I was doing a galloping session 
um, and nobody had been out on the trail in a few days. And so what I ended up having to do is I'd be on my, my off-track thoroughbred who's prelim level uh, fit and we're like covering ground. And then I'd spot the spider web and have to duck down along his neck, like as low as I could get. And I hope that he wouldn't drag the spider onto his neck with him. Oh, or- because if he did, I would have to die and, you know, be very sad. <laughs> I would light myself on fire. You would have to, because they're just, they're very enormous. They're, they're nice, friendly. I definitely notice fewer bugs in general around the farm now that they're hatched and making their webs everywhere. Like you can tell the difference, but if one touched me, I'm going to have nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not like Southwestern spiders or something like that. Like there's, they're, they're actually really pretty, but Oh no, I can never I can never let one get on me, especially not while I was galloping flat out in the woods. So Natalie, not to downplay your spiders, but here in the Smokies, we have what we call bee season. And they're not actually bees, they're yellow jackets that make these ground nests on the trail. And those have been some of my worst nightmares on trails. And the only two times in you know 30 years that I ever had to go call an ambulance for somebody was due to these. Um, ground bees, these yellow jackets. So the spiders are creepy, um, but at least they're not going to kill you and it doesn't turn into a rodeo out there, I guess. Yeah, oh my no, God. you're absolutely right. Because Heather, you have a bee story. And then when I, I lived it. in Maryland, when I was a teenager, I witnessed bees take out a trail ride. I oh, was yeah. not on it, but I was, at, I was back at the barn when the horses returned without riders. No, um, I'd much rather, my yeah. B story is is like, I will dine on this forever and I'll make it a short version, but we went out for a couple of horses on a trail ride on our property. And it was extensive. We had 500 acres and we're coming out of the field up into the woods. And all of a sudden my horses start, um, he starts kind of rearing up a little bit, you know, the little half rear, just kind of throwing a fit. Yeah. And so I called ahead and I said, guys, something's wrong. We need to turn around. Finally, they listen, we turn around. So I take up the rear again. And the next thing I know, the head horse just rears up on his back legs and just books it. Rider jumps off, grabs the reins. The next rider, her horse goes in the air. I'm like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) Needless to say, my horse is throwing a fit and he's rearing and bucking. And I'm like, there's no safe way to jump off this guy. So I just jump off and I kind of push myself back away from him in case he were to kick out as he took off. And I landed on my ass. And I thought it was okay I tend to land on my butt and start wiping myself off. And everyone's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I go ow, And I look down, I am covered in yellow jackets. Oh. I'm covered. Mm. I landed in the nest that apparently we'd woken while with the hoofbeats. We caught the one horse. So the other horses ended up coming back, but I was covered in seven stings. I had one in my helmet. I kept seeing repeatedly. My horse was stung 13 times. I mean, it was a nightmare. I am now allergic. I have never been stung before in my life, but that was crazy. And I will. I was going to ask you allergic. Yeah. Cause a friend of mine got two stings and went into anaphylactic shock on the trail and it was just me and her. And I literally had to leave her in the woods and and go get help. So those yellow jackets are nothing to fool around with. No. And they chase you. I mean, they absolutely chase you. And I have never been so scared of my life. I would much rather encounter a bear on the trail because yeah. at least you make noise and they tend to move away from you. But, oh, my God, those bees are no joke. I agree. You know, that's what people say. Oh, what's the worst thing up in the Smokies? Is it hogs? Is it bears? Is it rattlesnakes? And I always say it's the yellow jackets because, again, those have been my most um, crazy rides where I've, I've actually had to go get help for, for people on more than one occasion. And, um, you know, we've learned kind of to look for them. We know what season they're out in, um, which is kind of July through the first frost. They're pretty hot and heavy on the trails. They tend to like the trails closer to the creek. So uh, we've learned a lot about, you know, riding in that season. I always ride on wide trails um, during yellow jacket season and not single lane trails where you can't turn around or get out of the way. Um, And also smaller groups are better in the summer because a lot of times, you know, that first or second horse gets past the nest fine. And then the 
vibration of the ground um, from the hoof beats, by the time you get to the middle and end of the ride, it, it's just a, a complete rodeo. And something else I've seen, kind of a you know, teachable moment, when that happens, a lot of times the horses will stop and start stomping, and you stop and go, oh, and you're looking around like, what's going on? And my, my horses and myself have learned once that happens, you know, we just shout, bees, go, go. And, you know, everybody just takes off like a bat out of hell, hopefully, you know, collected and doesn't get too crazy. But um, we know to get out of the fray rather than stand there stomping in them. But yeah, scary thing on the trail for sure. Yeah. And that's actually a good teachable moment in the sense that your horses are telling you and you need to listen. I mean, they yeah. don't act up for no reason on the trail. You actually need to trust your horse big time. When yeah. you're out there, you have to be a true partner. Um, and it was funny because I'd asked a couple of people about their trail stories on our Facebook group. And quite a few people had stories that encountered uh, strange animals, right? Or, or other animals. And, and Lucy had submitted maybe six different bear stories, um, <laughs> which I was like, okay, so bears are her nemesis. Uh, but there was one that I just, I wanted to read because it was really um, it made me laugh out loud. Um, so I thought everybody would appreciate it. And if anybody wants to, after listening, go to our Facebook group and join to read the rest, I highly recommend. Um, so Lucy says, a friend was doing volunteer trail work with a group of guys in the back country. She was the only woman in a group of guys and they were all sharing a big wall tent. One night she just couldn't take the farts and snores. So she decided to sleep by the cook fire. She was sleeping on her stomach when a bear walked up and bit her on the butt. What? She woke up, yeah. <laughs> she, she woke up and screamed and the bear ran off. The no. Bite left, wait, it gets so much better, Natalie. The bite <laughs> left a nasty scar on her for years and she got free drinks at a local bar for hiking up her skirt to show off the scar. Now that sounds like something I would totally do. That is so crazy. I yeah. love that. And yet, no, where is this? Where is this? I need to never go there. It's, it's the Smoky down. Mountains. Yeah, yeah it's Smoky Mountains. Mountains. <laughs> the Smoky Mountains sound terrifying. They're full well, of I'll... bugs that chase you, bears <laughs> that bite you on the ass while you're sleeping. <laughs> Forget I, it. I Natalie, I have, an, I have another one about the, uh, the Smokies here. Um, <laughs> This so, is the most visited national park in the country, may I add. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. It's, <laughs> it's equally as beautiful as it is precarious. Um, and I would say, you know, 98% of my rides have went swimmingly. Those trail stories are, you know, the 2%. And um, Lucy and I both rode for uh, with Backcountry Horsemen's different chapters over the years. But, um, you know, when she talks about her trail stories, I, I relate to them because we're riding basically the same trails in the same region. And she's a wealth of experience and, and really fun stories. Hmm. Well, and Heather, so, what was yours? Yeah. yeah. So this is Lucy's other story, um, which I don't know, Kathy, if you've known this one, but uh, Lucy says, as a Wrangler for many years, I have so many stories from the Wrangler who came back from a ride talking about seeing monkeys swinging through the trees in Western North Carolina. The monkeys had escaped from a local zoo, but the barn manager was convinced the Wrangler was tripping on something. Later, I encountered escapee ostriches. Never have my horse and I been left in the dust as fast as when the ostriches charged and all the dude horses turned tail and ran. <laughs> I mean, no wonder Lucy's a bit of a timid rider after all those experiences. Right. <laughs> We've all had giant bird horror experiences, right? Like oh, with yeah. emus or ostriches, yeah. like they're just horses think they're the antichrist. Yeah, and I well, love when are. you're riding on the trail and there's like a thick grass and and there's a bunch of turkeys nesting or grouse and literally they I've had them fly up like oh. underneath my horse just about and um yeah talk about uh, having a good desensitized horse pretty important. <laughs> oh yeah, my my pony is terrified of birds and uh, and so my barn got ducks a couple years ago and I was like really. <laughs> okay so I guess this is a teaching moment and yeah. uh and now he's better so we actually have wild turkeys that roam around and they get chased out of his paddock by his 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 brother but um he doesn't panic anymore so yeah I guess but um yeah so I think uh I think quite a few of us have had strange encounters on the trail <laughs> we definitely sure. have monkeys not right here but down in central Florida my, where my old farm was in um, near Lakeland there's a monkey island. It's usually an island like where some 
rich eccentric person put monkeys and then they got out of control and took over the island <laughs> we have that with coyotes up here oh we just played yeah we just have coyotes like but yeah monkeys silver springs says monkeys that's a state park they have a random monkey island um but I've never I, I run honestly monkeys are terrifying I, oh I no definitely at, yeah monkeys are are, are a no-go for me i work sentient at park zoo no humanoid beings that live in trees no and are highly <laughs> aggressive yeah, yeah. yeah. you guys are you guys are funny. So I don't know if you know this tidbit about me, but I worked with primates for about nine years. I trained chimpanzees, orangutans. I was a surrogate mother to capuchin monkeys and rhesus monkeys in Florida in the Clearwater area for many years. So I'm a monkey nut, like monkeys and horses and cats are, you know, just kind of my favorites. Um, and I remember riding in Costa Rica where we'd ride out on beaches and we'd just go loping down the beach and you'd see a saltwater crocodile in the ocean and then we'd like weave back into the trees and there'd be all these cool little howler monkeys and squirrel monkeys all over the trees so to me that was just fascinating to to ride in that environment to have primates there so that's yeah, that's that sounds magical in its own way <laughs> yeah. you know speaking of, of riding in the water which is not something i've ever done have you ever seen like they're um the australian racehorse trainers that take their horses into the ocean and the dolphins swing up swim up mm. around the horses while they're like exercising them in the ocean it looks like the single most magical experience oh, of I all bet. time yeah yeah no, yeah that's cool that would be amazing. Um, we live very near fontana lake which is a very large lake here in western north carolina and i can actually ride my horses down to the lake it's maybe a half a mile and it's great because my horses are now seniors and we're not doing the big trail rides and we love going down there and letting them swim and splash around and you know it's so good for for them to play and to cool off and it helps their arthritis and it's just so fun to and magical to be out there with them. Um, not always on them. Just sometimes I lead them out there. Sometimes I will sit on their back and it scares me when they get to a deep spot and they're going to swim. I mean, I know they're capable of that, but you know, protective mom here always, always gasps that they're going to drown or something. Oh, I know. I am, you know, that's one thing I do miss about Maryland was the clear like rivers and brooks where you could take the horses mm -hmm. to play. Like I was at this crazy eventing barn when I was a teenager. I've talked about it here before. And we were really close to a just sparkling, um, I don't know, brook, wide creek, small river with, you know, a stone bottom and a current in the middle. And the water was cold and we would take the horses down and play. And, uh, you know, that's not happening in Florida. That's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Unless you want to become dinner for the gators. <laughs> and I, you know, I used to, when I was um, a kid, for a while, I kept my horse at like a, a cattle station. Um, so like it was the barn where the cow horses lived. And then there were, they grazed cattle on public land here in, in, in central Florida. And so I was allowed to ride out there. So I could ride for like 50 square miles if I wanted to. And I would just go and ride th through canals and there would be gators in the canals, but they just sit and sort of watch you because you're bigger than they are. But that was the 90s and there are like 10 times more alligators now than there were in the 90s. Like they were still an endangered species then, which is almost hard to believe. And they're bigger now. So I don't know if it's the same experience as it was back then. Well, I have to say, I mean, I expect a gator to be a little bit scary and you know at least you know what you're getting into but I can't even I was uh Gina in our group actually had a deadly well not a deadly but a very um scary encounter with a gnat that and allowed her to go to the hospital what <laughs> do you want to hear the story of course <laughs> by all means <laughs> she was having a canter uphill and um she was going fast to try to get rid of the gnats in the summer and something <laughs> flew into her eye but she kept going and they got back safely and she still couldn't get this like thing out of her eye she didn't know what it was like a piece of dust she ended up going to urgent care and the hair of the gnat's wing attached itself to her cornea oh my god and she, yeah she had oh. to have it removed with a oh. like super sharp tool oh. and I, so she, a gnat tried to take her out. It was like, if you, if I can't have you, no one will. 
yeah, that story could be entitled titled like you know the smallest um issue on a trail that's that's so amazing yeah it's, you're so right like you think horses are dangerous just wait till you see what can happen with a gnat while you're exactly. on horseback <laughs> i mean now i kind of understand why every time he's in the woods in summer because he acts like he's totally seizing and he just bobs his head and prances and now i know he's just protecting us from the nest <laughs> yeah, i'll tell you what was a strange thing to see on a trail i rode out in south dakota in the black hills for two weeks we trailered horses from north carolina out to south dakota and there were four of us and custer state park has the largest wild herd of buffalo in the u.s and we got up in the morning and we're having coffee outside our tent the first morning and the halts uh, horses were in their little uh, tie stalls or little pens and having a cup of coffee and here walks a buffalo like you know 15 feet and the ranger's like oh you need to get back and i'm thinking buffalo large cow i guess you know i don't have those here in the smoky so i really wasn't that alarmed and he proceeded to tell us that the week before a horse got gored by a buffalo and i said oh my goodness you know we're going to be riding out here for two weeks do you have any tips and he said yeah whatever you do don't startle the buffalo <laughs> and that is actually the title of my next book don't yes. startle the buffalo so we are like okay we won't startle the buffalo well five minutes into our first ride we're riding to the lodge to grab breakfast and what do we do we startled the buffalo five minutes <laughs> and it was just the scariest thing talk about a horse spinning fast and if you don't have your seat and balance you you went sideways and been left there with the buffalo and i mean i don't think my horses had never seen anything larger than them on a trail before so it was you know like encountering a mack truck uh, with horns <sighs> it was pretty scary and i was literally shaking in my saddle for probably 15 or 20 minutes after that and I said, there's no way I'm going to ride out here for two weeks. This is going to be a disaster. But we did navigate around the Buffalo um, the remainder of, of the time. And they're amazing to see. But, you know, talk about kind of a large, scary thing on the trail. Very that is extremely so. scary. <laughs> yeah, my, my back as a woman with alligators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, my backcountry stories are kind of kind of wild because they're literally far in the backcountry a lot of times but you know something i've learned too is you don't even have to be far in the backcountry to have these weird encounters um you know you could be riding off your own property and something could happen especially when you live out in the country oh yeah, well even sure. here i mean i live in a very urban setting so we get mountain bikers runners people with off-leash yeah. dogs kids strollers i mean you name it your your horse has got to be comfortable with it so mm -hmm. Um, that can be its own obstacle. Right, exactly. You know, my plan um, with Ben is to start taking him on hand walks down our, we live on a dirt, like two track road. And I want to take him on hand walks down the dirt road and then on a little further down the Lime Rock Road that we live off of so that he can get used to the human elements that are scary on mm -hmm. you know because like the woods he's okay woods he's even okay with tortoises now which we used to have this whole gopher tortoise situation but he seems cool with them now but you know new mailboxes are scary uh gates hung at odd angles can be very scary and you know random dogs things like that and I just, I personally am a big old wuss once I'm out of the arena. So I just prefer to just take him for a hand walk, let him eat, give him treats and let him learn it all with me on the ground because he will spin and I will fall off. You know what? I do the same thing, Natalie. Yeah. I hand walk my horses. I mean, delight, you're safer being on him because he tends to be quite bold and he will go through you. Like he, mm, he doesn't mm -hmm. have a bubble. He doesn't recognize your human bubble and we're working on it. But Ferris, there's many times where I get off and I just walk him because he is quite nervous on the trails um, and he does better by himself. But I have to imagine, Kathy, that your horses have kind of been there, done that at this point. They have, especially one's now 28 and one's 32. And I've been riding them for 20 something years here in the Smoky. So yeah, they have been there, done that. And, you know, when I say trail riding, it's typically not go out for an hour. It's minimum three hours to, you know, overnight to several day pack trips and did some trail clearing for backcountry horsemen. And um, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time on the trail. It's not just a day in the park. It's, it's you know, creek crossings and ledges and uh, ridges and bushwhacking around, um, you know, obstacles on the trail and, 
you know, having chainsaws packed and, and toting a pack horse. So yeah, a lot, a lot of trail adventures. And, you know, now that I'm of a certain age, um, that is a little less appealing to me. And also my horses are older now, so it would involve me getting a, another younger horse to ride the way I used to. But, you know, I think, I think it's important to kind of honor where our horses are for sure, but also where we are in our lives. So, you know, I'm not sure I'll continue riding um, at that level, but I'm so glad that I, I had the experience to do that and just have a, you know, a whole repertoire of um, teachable moments on the trail, experiences, great connections, trail camaraderie that happens when you're, you know, with a group of good riders. And, you know, Natalie, you were talking about, um, you know, riding and, and Heather said, you know, I'm going to make a note not to, to ride with you. Um, there are some people that I choose not to ride with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That is such a great topic. She's siding so with Heather. She's the so schoolmaster has admitted that I am an agent of chaos. It's not about you. It's about you in general. Not. Yeah, in general. You know, I had an old cowboy friend tell me it matters who you ride with. And when he first told me that, it, you know, that's probably one of the best pieces of trail advice I ever got. And when he told me that, I thought, what a riding snob. What do you mean it matters <laughs> to ride with? And then when I started riding with other people and different types of riders and different types of horses, I am 100% about that because some people are just not aware riders. Some people are, um, their horses are not as seasoned. Some people don't have the trail etiquette um, that I like to ride with or, or take the safety precautions. So though I've done a lot of adventures, I am a super cautious, mindful, aware rider. I agree. And I think you need to be in the same mindset. Like there's some days, uh, I mean, I, I have great friends. They always go trail riding without me. And the reason for that is because I don't feel like I need to gallop and go all the time. And they just refuse to do anything slower. And frankly, my horse isn't at that point now where he could physically do that, even if I thought that was fun, which I don't. I'm a big fan of, of, you know, hey, let's have a nice little canter here or gallop there, but based on the trail, based on your horse. And so I just don't ride with them anymore. But I think the etiquette is really important when we're talking about this, because you need someone who's leading the group, whether it's you or someone else who absolutely knows the rules and how to keep everybody kind of safe and on the same page. My worst, my, my biggest pet peeve is the people who just take off and don't say, hey, mm -hmm. are you guys ready to canter now? Hey, yeah. this looks like a nice straightaway. Why don't we do a trot? And then tell people when they're slowing down. I mean, you can create so many injuries and issues just by not communicating. Oh, oh for sure. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen it many times. And, and I'm like you, I'm all about a canter on the trail at the right and appropriate spot that, you know, cue the people behind you. And, you know, as a, also I used to lead trail rides for Appalachia riding and packing when they were in existence. And, um, you know, as a trail leader, that's your job is to make sure everybody's safe and everybody's, you know, all up for a trot or for a canter. Um, so I think that's, that's so important. I've got a short list here of trail etiquette that I'd love to, to share with you guys at some point on this, in this conversation. Oh, let's do it because there's a lot of stuff that I think people don't realize. Yeah, for sure. Um, so of course, you know, it matters who you ride with. That's one thing I just mentioned that, that I'm, I'm all about. Um, now the group I've ridden with, I always look for like-minded people. We have kind of an unspoken credo on the trail. If we start out as a group, we come back as a group. And I have been on rides with people who've not done that. And I'm ready to turn around either my horse threw a shoe or I'm getting hot or tired or whatever the reason and the people I'm with don't want to turn around. And I've had those people say, oh, well, you go back, um, you know, just text us when you get back. Well, first of all, we don't even have cell signal here. So you're riding out in a place where you, if something happened, you really don't have very great access for, for help or support. And, you know, and they'll just want to ride on. And I don't like riding with people like that. Um, I, I'm also of the mindset that you ride to the ability of the weakest link. And that means human or horse. So like if I'm on a ride and my horses are seniors, they can only go at a walk or we don't really do the big steep uh, climbs anymore. Um, or, you know, maybe the human is having an issue. They're having an off day. Somebody's not feeling good. Um, you have an elderly rider. And I just think the group, if you're riding with a good group, um, you ride to the ability of the weakest link, whether it's the human or the horse. And, you know, you go out as a group, you come back as a group. And even if that means cutting your ride short 
for some reason because somebody had trouble. Um, that's just part of, to me, um, you know, riding is the camaraderie of, of group riding. Well, yeah, that's the basic premise of doing something as a group activity, right? Like you have made a commitment to do things as a group. And, you know, if you were out kayaking or something, you wouldn't abandon somebody in the 10,000 islands of South Florida because their kayak wasn't up to par. You definitely wouldn't say you ride your herd animal back home alone. It'll be fine. (laughs) We've all probably tried to do that. Yeah. There hasn't been a panic attack with your horse spinning and shrieking. Yeah. Yeah, That's completely, that's not just trail etiquette. That's basic human communal behavior. Yeah. Like if you agree to go out as a group, you agree to return home as a group period yeah, would, end of story <laughs> right you would think it's common sense but truly i have ridden with those people and you know not to knock endurance riders but some of them were endurance riders and they were like you know we want to keep going we want to get some more miles in and you know we'll just catch you back at the trailer messages when you get home and i'm like this just doesn't seem right so those are people i don't ride with i've been at um events where endurance riders because they're in this race mode they're thinking about who's going to get there first but generally speaking even in endurance rides you're not supposed to just take off from water stops right or vet stops and you're supposed to um kind of go out as a group because of that herd mentality and i've seen injuries where people got thrown and broken ribs because people just took off yeah exactly yep you know, you really have to learn how to drop whatever your comp- competitive sport is. Mm-hmm. You have to learn when that mentality is appropriate and when it isn't, mm-hmm. you know, and some people are competitive and ambitious and they can't drop that easily, but there's a time and a place and going on a group trail ride with non-endurance riders would definitely not be the place to try to rack up miles. You have to, you know, saddle up for the ride you're on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about kind of leisurely rides. My friends and I like to take long lunch breaks and, you know, we'll get off at certain points and give our horses a rest and being a yogi, I'll get off and do a few stretches and, um, you know, it just makes for a more pleasant ride. Uh, you know, and again, it matters who you ride with. If you want to ride quick, go with a group that likes to ride that way. If you more of a walker and a leisurely day, make sure you, you know, you pick your riding partners accordingly. And, you know, not all horses mix. Um, I ride quarter horses, paint horses, which are typically slower than my friends that have gated horses and we've made it work. Um, and they've been able to slow their horses down or I've picked up pace, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a little extra work that way too. And again, Again, if you're riding with quality riders that know to gauge the pace, that's that's helpful. Um, you know, and Heather was talking about the the creek crossings or, or the water breaks. Um, here we have a lot of creeks, and a lot of times we're walking across them, and the horse will stop, or we'll stop them in the middle and let them get a drink, and then you know the rider just goes marching on, and all the horses behind are trying to like rush through this slippery creek. And proper trail etiquette is you get to the other side of the creek, you wait. You stop your horse or the other horse has a chance to drink. You move up a little bit in the line and you, you know, you keep allowing that to happen until everybody's had a, a drink. And same thing with going around gates and bridge crossings. I like to pause at the other side and make sure everybody behind me is getting through. And, you know, maybe that's the old trail guide in me, but um, I just think that's that's proper trail etiquette to just keep an eye on each other. Again, part of the trail camaraderie. Um, don't be afraid to speak up about, you know, for safety issues. Um, you know, and I find sometimes somebody's having an issue and they don't want to be a bother. So they don't speak up and they, you know, they, they endure whatever's going on. And, um, I just think it's important to be able to communicate with who you're riding with and, you know, to just be aware and also be aware, like when somebody else is having trouble on the trail, um, you know, sometimes just simply switching up your place in the line changes up the horse dynamics. So if somebody's having a hard time, um, you know, out front or crowding or whatever, just offering to change up that position um, is good trail etiquette too. And not being so attached to, well, I have to be in the front or I have to ride drag or whatever. Yeah, I actually have a, a good point that that uh, backs that up. I was, I was riding with some friends out in Arizona at a dude ranch and we were doing our quote unquote fast ride which was walk, trot, canter. And there was a lot of good canter spots and our horses knew where they were going. And so we got quite a few good gallops in and I was in the back. Um, Not a problem. Generally, I don't mind being in any particular place uh, depending on the ride, but the, uh, the last stretch towards home, they, everybody took off at a fast gallop, like from the get-go. 
and my horse went straight up in the air. And I don't know why I, I must've been doing something to hold him back, but that's not my intention. And he started just panicking the farther up everybody got. So finally I called out and I said, Hey, everybody stop, you know, hold up. And they were good, you know, 50 feet ahead of me by that point. And uh, I was incredibly embarrassed. Like they ended up, I caught him calm. They brought a new horse to me. My girls were so wonderful about it. But later on, one of them was like, your horse didn't reared. You're full of it. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, why would I just create this drama? Like my horse decided that for some reason it was going to act up and it got worse because you guys got farther away. I'm going to ask for help. I'm not going to just ride through it. I would have ended up in a cactus. And so, you know, it's one of those things where I get like offended, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't really want to ride with you anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's valid for sure. Yeah. Trail riding can be so fun, but I think the big thing to take away is there are rules. It matters who you go with. And if you can't find anybody do like what Natalie and I do, cause I don't have anyone I can really go out with is I, I hand walk my horses and I, I stay close to home. I venture farther and farther away. And then really what I'm trying to do is find someone who's like-minded like me, who's willing to follow the same rules. And it's not as easy as you think. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it's effort to find a good group to ride with. And for years, I was really fortunate here in the Smokies to have a really good group of friends and we would ride anywhere from three to five times a week. I mean, we were really avid and really committed to it. And, you know, there was always a good sized group. So if somebody couldn't go, there was somebody else that could. Um, so I was fortunate, but, you know, as we're all getting older, who's quit riding, who's moved away, who's horses are retired now. So our group here has shrunk also. And um, it is, it is not always easy to find, find people to ride with. And that's the great thing about like coming on some of these retreats that Heather and I are doing, because you do get to ride with like a group of like-minded women and there are rules, you know, oh. we're just not out there all random. I love yeah. rules. It sounds amazing. And my life is so incredibly chaotic right now that yeah, we don't want your there's, chaos. Yeah, I, I feel like I would come to escape my chaos and I would bring it with and all of ice. There'd probably be another volcano and I'd be like, sorry, well, you know, Iceland. The, the volcano was erupting for like five months last year, but it's a slow burn. So, you know, um. I would ground all the airplanes. We'd have to take a ferry to like Germany. It would take days. It's all good. Well, and so I wanted to switch topics here because I want to talk about we're coming into summer. And there's a lot of these holidays coming up. And so for this, this, this episode's pop corner, I wanted to talk about fireworks and get everyone's sentiments on how they think about fireworks as horse owners. I have I mean, so many opinions about fireworks. I do too. That's why I was kind of <laughs> curious what your opinions were and Kathy's opinions. Cause Kathy, you live rather remotely, but I have to imagine there's a lot of people who like their fireworks where you live too. Uh, they like their fireworks and they like their guns here in rural Appalachia. So not just on 4th of July. So we deal with that kind of regularly. I mean, luckily I'm on 30 acres. I'm pretty remote, but we do hear people not so far off target practicing sometimes or hunting and, and fireworks. You know, I'm not a fan of fireworks um, for any animals. The dogs and cats don't like them. The wild animals, I'm sure, don't love them. Um, my horses, for the most part, um, don't seem to be too freaked out by them because we have been on the trails and heard, you know, gunshots fairly close by. So they're very desensitized, but um, I, I don't love it. I just think it, it stresses out the animals. Um, but I don't think we're going to change the uh, 4th of July celebration. So I think the best we can do is put our animals in a, you know, safe and, and quiet place as we can and, and keep them comfortable and reassured that they're okay. Yeah. How about you, Natalie? I mean, I personally have um, a sort of mantra that I repeat to myself, which is just because you like something doesn't mean you can have it. Two things that I really, really love are fireworks displays and balloons. Both of them should be done with. We should, as a culture, we should have moved past both filling plastic things with helium, which is a non-renewable resource, and blowing things up and sending sulfurous smoke into the air for oohs and ahs. I love them both. We can't have them anymore. That's my stance on fireworks and balloons. And I, I bring up the two of them together because obviously I have a lot of theme park experience, and those are two main tenants of the theme park experience, right? Is you get a balloon during the day, which you will regret for the rest of the day. 
and you stay for the fireworks show. I love huge, enormous theme park fireworks shows. I absolutely love them. Uh, but I'm willing to do without them when it comes to personal fireworks. Like why? Like, what is the point of those? Even they look fire, stupid. Fire, fire. I mean, to just have a bonfire, personal fireworks are dumb and lame and look bad and annoy your neighbors and frighten other people's animals. And they're bad. And that's my opinion on personal fireworks. I agree. Is that straightforward enough? No, no, I think think it's very clear. And I think New Jersey was great because we had rules for so long that we weren't allowed to have personal fireworks. Like sometimes people would sneak away down south, get them. I used to go visit my family in Kansas and we used to set off fireworks, you know, when I was a kid. But New Jersey, it was great because it was only sanctioned events that, Mm -hmm. you know, around the holidays. But since it has become legal, it is almost every weekend in the summer and i'm talking thursday through sunday i live at the beach so people are are setting them off constantly there's so many injuries coming in because you know people get drunk and then set off fireworks because that's so smart exactly like who whose brilliant idea was we should have a lot of cheaply priced explosives that serve absolutely no purpose and will attract drunk people with no sense well this is america okay we're allowed to do it that's right. Sounds like a recipe for disaster. It is. Yeah. It's a three course meal of no siri, as they said in the underrated Disney film Chicken Little. I absolutely well, and, and I love going is, to a, a town yeah. fireworks display. Even a small town fireworks display is a wonderful time. But one at a time from your yard? Are you insane? Are well, you it's doing? just annoying because people do it after hours or, yeah. or, you know, I had small children and my dogs and horses are absolutely fine. They don't care about the noise at all. I'm not personally victimized by fireworks and I've been very careful to make sure my dogs are and, and horses are comfortable with them. But like, I'm just affronted by them in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want anything waking me up at 11 o'clock at night. Thank you very much. If my exactly. dogs have to be in, so do your fires. Okay. Yeah. So do your fireworks. No, I totally agree. And I, you know, I agree with your statement. Like it sucks for our pets. Um, but people will get very like, well, I don't have to live my life according to your pets. No, you absolutely don't. But I also should not have to hear them. And we do live in a society. And if you choose to live not in the middle of a hundred acres, then you have to abide by the rules of society, which say, shut up. It's late. Stop waking me up. End of story. End of story. (laughs) And you know, also we talk about the animals not liking them, but there's a lot of people out there with fragile nervous systems who are dealing with PTSD. Yes, veterans. So, you know, it's not always great for humans either to, to have that excessive noise it's really not you're absolutely right and there have been so many incidents of gun violence in the united states Mm. at this point that a lot of people hear an explosion and have ptsd from an episode of gun violence that they have been adjacent to or Mm -hmm. in or it has affected them personally you know and so they hit the floor because that's what it sounds like yeah yeah it's scary Mm -hmm. yeah i agree okay so we're firmly anti-fireworks anti across the board (laughs) (laughs) and again for the record i love a great fireworks show but i am willing to live without them for the greater good you're very selfless i am thank you you're taking one for the team i am and i again balloons make them illegal i am done Uh, Okay, so let's talk our adulting win of the week because I have a big one I am really proud of, okay? I am alone on the farm right now. Remember, think if you're thinking of robbing me, I have a big machete, but I am alone on the farm right now and I had to get a round bale. Uh, (laughs) i see where this is going (laughs) so i you know i had a couple of ideas for how i was going to get the round bale out of the back of the truck by myself and um the first one didn't work which was to have the truck on a little bit of a slope and slam on my brakes and then and then gun it (laughs) that didn't do anything uh and i was a little afraid the round bale was going to like come through the back window of the truck but it didn't so what i did was i took some of the like tie downs, you know, that you use for the back of your like loads on your truck with ratchets and their nylon. 
and I couldn't quite remember how to make the ratchet work. I thought I knew, but it wasn't working. So I just tied some knots, but I tied tie downs around the hay bale. And then I took one tie down and I wrapped it around one of my oak trees, a very stable oak tree, not like one of the woodpecker trees. And then I got into the truck and I took a deep breath and I tapped the gas, tap, 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 tap. And the round bale came out of the back of the truck and the trees stayed up and all was well on my farm. You all did by it. myself. Bravo, I did it. Bravo. That's pretty amazing. You know, that's what I love about horse people. Like we're just so resourceful. We just figure out a way to get it done. Yeah. There's just no, this is the kind of game where there's just no choice. You get it done or... Yeah. Or you get it done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Natalie, I got something done this week that I'm very proud of. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm ready. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I don't want to like one up you or anything here. Are you going to one up me? But I'm, but after three years, you know what I did? I, I not only blocked the time in my schedule, but I actually showed up and I got a pedicure. Mm, okay. Nice. That is my adulting win of the week. Thank you very much. Like, I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but I like did something for myself. I planned it. I executed it. And I'm, I have very pretty toes right now. Okay. That's pretty. I, I should do that. I'm going on a cruise next month. And wouldn't it be nice to have pretty toes? The last time I got a pedicure, I was 18 years old. Whoa, you need one. I'm just, I haven't even seen your feet, but I'm going to assume you need one. I have pretty good feet, but they could be better. We need to take Nat- Natalie out for a girl's day, some pedicures, and a trail ride, Heather. Oh, that sounds amazing. But maybe, not, maybe Dewey not, Dewey. not in Florida. With- right, not in Florida. <laughs> no, in Florida, because I remember I'm afraid of heights. Ah. So it should be flat. Okay, yeah, but I don't like spiders. Can <laughs> we, we can do, do it, it in... not? Let's do it in the winter. January through, like, May is safe. Well, you know, I do want to come down in February for, you know, WEC and everything like that. Maybe Kathy can... Uh, can have a clinic down there or something at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think the February is the time to be here, quite frankly. It is, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, my um, win of the week is kind of along the lines of Heather. I'm actually having a quiet, normal week, which I embrace and I love um, because my world can be very busy with events and clinics and traveling and planning. Um, So I'm having a very normal week. I had lunch with a friend yesterday. I'm doing a hike with another friend tomorrow. I've had time to do my own yoga and meditate every morning um, and spend some quiet quality time with my horses. The farrier is coming out today. So I'm my win of the week is just having a quiet balanced week because for me it's just all about balance and you know it's great to be active and busy and outward but I I really need that counterbalance of some kind of quiet normal weeks too so that's my win of the week it's not landmark but um hey no that's amazing that sounds like I mean you win yeah that sounds positively amazing (laughs) I I I would kill for a week but you've secured a whole week so like (laughs) you absolutely have an adulting win Thank you. Well, I mean, there's a little work interwoven, but it's just, it's really light this week. So I'm just really like embracing the week of me and, um, you know, enjoying being here in the Smokies. It's, it's a beautiful time of year. The lake's right down the road. So I think I'm going to go for a swim this afternoon. So yeah, it's all good. You're making everybody jealous, right? Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I want to talk a minute about trail riding. You know, I, I met Clinton Anderson briefly years ago at Equine Affair when I was presenting in Massachusetts, and he was obviously also a keynote presenter there. And he said something that always stuck with me. He said, never say you're just a trail rider. And I have so many people that come up to me at events and expos and say, and I'll say, what kind of riding do you do? And they'll go, oh, I'm just a trail rider. And I used to say that too, but Clinton Anderson said, trail riders and those horses that do trail riding are the warriors. They literally go out into the unknown, um, encountering all sorts of things. Um, So they're the real warriors. So I want to encourage people that trail ride, don't ever say, I'm just a trail rider because you're not showing your horse or you're an eventer. So I wanted to start off with that. But um, my trail story has, a I have many, but this one has a teachable moment um, about the importance of desensitizing your horse. 
So one of the oddest trail moments that I had, and I was really glad my horse had been desensitized to this, um, I was riding on a Forest Service road called Stokoa Gap. And it's kind of where the Appalachian Trail crosses this gap. You can't ride horses on the Appalachian Trail, but you can ride them on these uh, Forest Service roads. So around spring, we have a lot of what are called the through hikers. They're doing the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. So a friend of mine and myself go up there really one super foggy morning and they don't call the Smokies the Smokies for nothing. I mean, we're talking thick fog, like can't see 10 feet in front of you, like, you know, pea soup. Um, they call it socked in around here. So we were socked in as we're starting the trail in the morning and we get maybe 10 minutes into the trail and we turn a corner. Now, mind you, we don't usually see a lot of people on this trail. So we turn a corner and to our great surprise, we see this big blue tarp on the ground amidst the fog. So my first thought was, oh, it must have just, you know, blown in there by the wind somehow. It was, you know, from some camper. And then when I saw the bulk of the trail, my second thought was, oh, my God, there's a dead body in there. <gasps> and somebody <laughs> dumped this body on the trail. So, of course, you know, my horse startles for a minute, but he didn't really overreact. And, and my friend's horse kind of did the same thing. And, you know, it looked like this big blue burrito on the trail. So then we start seeing this burrito moving and we're like, oh, my, oh goodness. my God. So it didn't take us long to realize like someone is inside of the tarp sleeping on the trail. Turned out it was one of the Appalachian Trail through hikers that decided to informally camp out there for whatever reason. They didn't go to one of the designated camps. So I call out to the tarp, you know, hey, um, you know, we're coming by with horses and you know, it was a big enough surprise for the horses to see this, but then to see it kind of moving and talking and they just sort of froze there. They wanted to turn around, but we kind of quickly pointed them, you know, at the tarp so they could see what was going on. And we're all trying to get our minds around it, you know, horses and, and humans. And, um, the guy kind of peeks out and he says, Oh, I was just sleeping on the trail. And we said, well, you know, could you move off the trail? Cause we're going to come by with the horses. And he kind of groggily says, yeah, okay. So he still doesn't really like get out of the way. He kind of slowly emerges from the tarp and we're asking him, you know, be slow. So you don't spook the horses. And, um, he kind of drags himself over to the side of the trail, but leaves the tarp in the middle of the trail. And we're like, can you move the tarp? And the guy was kind of like incoherent. So I didn't know what was going on with him. And he wasn't going to move the tarp. It was all he could do to move himself off the trail. So we have to continue on the ride and we have to walk over the tarp. Now, luckily, my horses have been desensitized because I actually use tarps in desensitizing them. We walk over them. We drape them on their back. We rub them all over. We wave them around like a noisy flag. Um, we've had to stand on tarps at obstacle challenges. So I really attribute, you know, the mild reaction of my horse in this situation to the fact that I've desensitized um, him, you know, to these kinds of things. But it was kind of a, you know, strange thing to see on a trail. I mean, you might think you'll run into a wild animal or something, but, you know, a human rolled up in a blue tarp like a burrito, um, you know, was was really kind of a, a surprise to all of us. And the horses could have boogered off the edge of the trail or ran over the guy or turned around and bolted. But so desensitizing was, you know, the moral of the story. So the more stuff you can get your horse exposed to, I think the better. And again, like Clinton Anderson said, those horses are warriors because whoever would have thought, you know, we would have seen a big moving blue burrito type thing on the trail with a guy inside. So that's, that's one of my many that is trails. That's a crazy stories. encounter. Like that, I, my horse would have dumped me and ran <laughs> off to save his own hide from right. the get. And he's pretty, like, I do a lot of stuff with him, but like that scenario, he would have been like, no bitch, I'm out. Sorry. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a single horse I could have ridden, you know, and, and I have run across my share of people sleeping in the woods when I was um, in Central Park and some of the other parks in New York City on patrol. And our patrol horses would be like, um, what's in the woods up there? Like, that's just a dude sleeping. We're going to go check on him and do a wellness check. The horse is like, no, we're not. You know, and these are like urban horses that are used to being in traffic and stuff like that. <laughs> like, ah. Horses do not like things that are still that should not be still. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, or anything new, really. Um, well, that is, woof. Uh, <laughs> that is scary. I'm glad you guys were safe and made it out. And I will second and say that trail riding is my absolutely favorite thing to do. 
but it is also the thing that scares me the most because literally anything can happen. And to have a truly safe trail horse is so priceless. Priceless. They are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. I mean, I've got so many stories comparable to that, that my horses have got me through moments that I know if I'd have been on a different horse, um, you know, it would have been a whole different scenario. And we talk about, you know, it matters who you ride with. It matters what you ride too. Not all horses are great and suitable trail horses. And mine have done this from a really, really young age. And we've put them in a lot of different situations. So they've become very accustomed to this. But, you know, that's not to say I just jump on anybody's horse and go trail ride, um, you know, these kinds of trails with with just any horse. So it matters what you ride. That's too. a good point, right? Like ride the horse you have, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta know the horse and the job that they want and, and use it to the best of their ability. Um, well, so- you know, on, on that note, I have, there's a great story here in uh, the in the Facebook group in the podcast clubhouse from our friend Jean Miller. And it's a great example of not um, having gone out uber prepared like our friend Kathy does. <laughs> it's this sort is of not Kathy. This is a not Kathy. Tra- <laughs> this is such a good story that I think that it should be um, it should be honored in our in our podcast today. So I'm going to share Jean's story if that's OK. Yeah, please honor For- us. All right. So here's what Jean has to say. She says, on my day off, I was riding down the lake trail when a public ride was coming to the lake from a different direction. I took a little used shortcut trail to go around the public ride. Big mistake. We had been having a lot of rain and poor Cinnamon sank in mud to his belly. Can you imagine that? Oh my God. I cannot. So Jean says, I was standing on the ground over him. The rear guide on the public ride rode to the barn and sent the tractor back to help pull poor Cinnamon out of the mud. He was just lying there in mud. But it turns out he was enjoying himself. She says, poor guy, he napped his entire weight. Did I mention he was lazy? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to stay here, guys. He was in hog heaven waiting to get pulled out of the mud because he didn't have to move. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, this feels like a warm bath. So once we got him out of the mud, I rode him back to the barn by way of every creek on the property to get him clean up. His lower legs were white again, but he had a lovely brown bathtub ring around his body. (laughs) So that's the kind of chaotic energy that I understand from Richard Elrod. But a success story nonetheless, because that is a horse that could have panicked and didn't. Yeah, they thrashed and didn't, and they got out of it. Thank God. And Absolutely. he probably got a really good bath after that. <laughs> yeah, right. And I want to say, to Jean's credit, that's not being ill prepared. That's just situational. Mm-hmm. I've been on rides where the ground has not been optimal, and you know, piece of trail breaks away, or your, your horse, you know, punches a hole through the ground in a soft spot. So, you know, that was really no fault of Jean's. I mean, awareness helps. Like, you know, where am I riding? Where am I stepping? But sometimes you know shit happens so yeah. um hate to be blunt but you know that's that's the, the the joys of trail riding well that's why you know again coming back to that trail horse and trusting the people you're with you know you need people who are calm under pressure and uh and uh and and to follow the 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 etiquette and the the rules and so that was lovely that he was able to go back and get help um and you know it was nice of her also to make way for the bigger group but uh yeah, shit happens. Fuck. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of actually really good uh, takeaways from that, including both Jean and her horse were super practical and unflappable about it. And we're just like, we will wait. We will wait. And I love that his name is Cinnamon. That's so cute. That is really cute. I'm imagining it's probably not because it's in America, but I am imagining a big hairy cob named Cinnamon. <laughs> oh, like with the adorable. white feathers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, cobs actually make great trail horses because they're relatively lazy and unflappable. Like it's, it takes a lot to, to get them going. I've, I've met quite a few. I mean, of course there's always exceptions, but um, of course my Welsh cob is the opposite of that. So he is the exception. He's the, <laughs> the tiny prince that gets bored in the arena, but is terrified of being outside of it. And when he is, he's ultra competitive. So he's like an endurance horse that shouldn't be an endurance. Um <laughs> But on that note, I wanted to, because I'm babbling now, um, 
Kathy, thank you so much for coming on and talking trails with us and giving us some of your experience and stories. And um, can you let everybody know where to find you so they could follow you? For sure. Yes. And first, thanks for having me on. This is great fun. And, you know, those of us who love horses and, and trails, we could just talk trail stories all day. So, totally. um, yeah. So thanks for having me on and um, asking me to talk about something that's that's really exciting and, and passionate for me. Um, my website is kathywoodsyoga.com. It's Kathy with a C, Woods with an S. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube um, as Kathy Woods Yoga. And I do, my book is Yoga for Riders. Um, I do body mind equine clinics around the country and information on both of those are on my uh, website. The book is published by horseandriderbooks.com. And again, you can just find that on my site and link over to their site. And the same thing with my clinics and retreats. And I'm always looking to connect with fellow equestrians. So if anybody out there wants to have me out to do a body, mind, equine, mindful equestrian uh, clinic, I'm, I'm always thrilled to, to connect and um, collaborate. So thanks again for having me. You're so welcome. And, and I highly recommend your, your retreats. I just went to your Colorado one. I had the most amazing time. And, um, and of course, you and I are putting together a retreat in Iceland for 2023. So I'm thrilled. Um, yeah. Very excited for that. I think yes. that is so much fun. So uh, trail riding in Iceland, anybody?